Is it true that we cannot absorb calcium that is found in spinach and Swiss chard? That is an excellent question. They're both high in a compound called oxalate. So oxalate basically binds to the calcium that's in those vegetables. Does that mean you're getting zero absorption? Like how much are you really getting? So there's a study for that. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving this show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. And you are here for a special edition of the Doctor's Mailbag, because really, this is not just the Doctor's Mailbag. Today on the show, teaming up with Dr. Neil Barnard is dietitian Lee Crosby. So this is really one of the more well-rounded Q&As that we've ever done on the exam room because this is the doctor's and the dietitian's mailbag. And there are a ton of great questions in here today. Somebody wrote in wondering whether calcium can be absorbed from spinach and Swiss chard as well as it can be from other leafy green vegetables. And then another person wondered, well, how much calcium do we actually need? And then of course, sugar and sweets, they're always at the top of mind for so many people. So we're gonna be talking about sugar substitutes, in particular, erythritol. Is that a good one or should these substitutes be avoided altogether? Lee Crosby will be weighing in on that, plus how much sugar is too much sugar? Man, that's a big one, isn't it? <laughs> and then we're also going to be talking about cholesterol and medication, and should you stop it after you adopt a plant-based diet? When should you stop it? Should you stop it right away? Dr. Barnard has advice for that, plus we'll be talking about adopting a vegan diet after weight loss surgery. Plus, as if that's not enough, there are tons of other questions in here, and we're going to take a trip to the exam room news desk and talk about one of the unexpected side effects of the coronavirus vaccine, and this one has the cheese industry freaking out. Yeah, a side effect that the cheese industry is concerned about. We'll tell you about that after the doctor's mailbag. There is so much to get to on today's episode. So let's get ready right now to raise our nutrition IQs on the exam room with Dr. Neil Barnard and the fiber queen, Lee Crosby. First question is for you, Dr. Barter. It comes to us from our friend, Allison. She writes that she's consuming about 700 milligrams of calcium every day on a whole food plant-based diet, but she says that most recommendations call for 1,200 milligrams, but she said that she heard that the numbers in the high hundreds are also adequate. So what can you tell Allison here? Well, hi, Allison. Thank you for being part of the program. Um, and your question is a terrific one that I'm sure many other people are wondering the same kind of thing, because what you said is exactly right. You'll see the government guidelines that say 1,200 milligrams of calcium a day. And then if you add it up in your own diet, you'll think, I'm not quite getting that number. Uh, could I be in trouble? Uh, when you look at the research studies on fracture risk and calcium, it looks like once 
if, if a person is below about maybe five or 600, there is a higher risk for fractures. But once you're about 600 milligrams of calcium per day, then there doesn't seem to be any great benefit to any more calcium. So you said you're getting about 700. That's a good spot to be. All right, next question. This is a good follow-up. We're going to send this one over to Lee here. This is a question from Stacy. She got in early. Wanted to know, is it true that we cannot absorb calcium that is found in spinach and Swiss chard? So that is an excellent question. So the absorption is much lower of calcium from spinach and Swiss chard. And why is that? They're both high in a compound called oxalate. So oxalate basically binds to the calcium that's in those vegetables and keeps it in your intestinal tract instead of you absorbing it. But the I was still curious when I saw that question come in, does that mean you're getting zero absorption? Like how much are you really getting? So there's a study for that. And this study found that you're getting about 5% absorption of the calcium that's in spinach and chard. So not a whole lot. That's comparable to, you're only getting actually about 30% absorption from milk, but 50% absorption from say kale or collard greens. So again, for those dark leafy greens, if you're really gonna go for the those for calcium, make sure you're focusing on the kale and the collard greens, the mustard greens, turnip greens, those are gonna be your go-to sources. That's not to say, though, that there aren't plenty of other nutrients found in the Swiss chard and the spinach that also benefit the body. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of anything green and leafy. I pretty much is in my diet daily. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question comes to you, Dr. Barnard. This is one from Liz. She wants to know, what is the optimal ferritin level for women? My doctor would like to see me increase my levels and suggested that I eat meat to do it. Okay. Um the question that just won't die is uh, where's iron coming from? Ferritin is the stored form of iron. And so your doctor is saying you're, you're low in iron and maybe meat, because meat has a lot of iron in it, you should add it to your diet. Um, there are uh, levels of ferritin that are written on the little lab slip when they do your blood test. They'll measure your ferritin and look at the normal values. They go through a huge range. They'll be down to about as low as 11 to something like 307 or somewhere in there that's measured in micrograms per liter. Um, so it's a huge range. However, um, just because you, if you're in sort of the low end of normal doesn't mean that that's necessarily bad. And back in the 1950s, we really thought the more iron in your body, the better, the more you can store, the better. But then researchers discovered that high iron intake and high iron storage is linked to heart disease. And more recent research links it to, to Alzheimer's. So our new thinking now is you want to have enough iron, but not any excess of it, because the excess can lead to all kinds of problems. So if you're not symptomatic, and by symptomatic, I mean, if your blood tests don't show anemia, where your red cells are not doing their thing, um, and you don't have fatigue, and you feel okay, and your blood, blood tests are in the normal range, but on the lower end of normal range, leave it alone. If you are in fact anemic um, and you're below the normal range, and especially if you're symptomatic and, and your blood tests are showing it, then you do need to look number one at why, and your doctor will work with you to figure out the source of it and the kind of anemia, what's the reason for it. And if you do need extra iron, uh, as Lee Crosby just mentioned, green things, um, that's the healthiest source and the best source of not just iron, but also the calcium as well, as she mentioned earlier. So, so that's job one. Very few people need to supplement iron at all, and you never need 
neat. It's the worst source of iron. It's got iron in it. It's got a lot of iron in it, but it packs it with fat and cholesterol and the occasional E. coli and that kind of stuff that you don't need. Definitely don't need the other stuff. All right, Lee Crosby, coming over to you. It is the season for sugar and sweets and all of that good stuff that comes with the holidays. So this is a question from Angelica. She's looking for a little bit of help here. She wants to know, is erythritol recommended as a sugar replacement or are sweeteners best to be avoided altogether? Okay, this is another excellent question. So it's better in a perfect world to avoid the sweeteners altogether. I think we kind of all know that intuitively. Um, that said, especially in the holidays when there are some, there can be maybe some baking going on or some fun things other than that, um, you might want to be adding a little bit of sweetener. So is erythritol a decent replacement? Um, it is. So it is, I think it's maybe not calorie free, but very, very low in calories. It is a sugar alcohol that is naturally occurring in some fruits. Obviously they concentrate it when they sell it in a bag. And one of the advantages of this sugar alcohol compared to the other ones, something like sorbitol is that erythritol does not stay in the GI tract. And as you know, or may not know, but things like sorbitol can stay in the GI tract. And since we don't really absorb it, very well, it goes down to our colon and our gut bugs just have a field day, which can give people some unpleasant gastrointestinal symptoms. Now, erythritol does not do that. Thankfully, you absorb it um, and then it goes out in the urine, as I understand it. So it's a better choice of the no calorie sweeteners. There are two that I'm OK with, even though I don't love them, that I will consume myself. Those are erythritol and stevia. So, or stevia, no one can ever decide how to pronounce that. So those are the two that if you're going to use them, I would say do that, but it's still best. I think we can all agree to minimize those. That said, I do use erythritol and stevia myself um, in moderation. So that's my general guidance on that. It's a better option, but best is just to go with dried fruit or even date sugar, which is actually freeze-dried ground dates. So you get all the minerals and fiber in there with it. Stevia, huh? I've mm -hmm. never heard it pronounced that way. That is that is a very stevia? Funny. I uh, mean, I still don't. No one has ever given me a good answer. Is it stevia? We can go with stevia. I, I, I'm going with stevia. That's the <laughs> only way that I've heard it. But All right, you know, I'll go with stevia. Potato. Sure. Follow-up question from Pamela. This is really good. She wants to know, what is the maximum amount of sugar that we should be eating every day? Ooh, yes. This is especially relevant when people are doing tracking, like with my fitness pal or chronometer. And I don't eat much added sugar at all, but it will say, oh, you've met or exceeded your sugar goal for the day. And it's like, you know, just after lunch. And I'm like, well, I've only been eating healthy things like fruit and dried fruit. And that's the key. So maximum amount of sugar from whole plant foods, limitless, help yourself, you know, grapes and, you know, cherries and berries and apples, knock it out. The problem is when you have added sugar, so stripped from all the phytonutrients and minerals and fiber, that's the problem. So the actual recommended limit for added sugars um, from the 2015-2020 Dietary Guidelines for Americans is 10% of your calories, which works out for a 2,000 calorie diet to about 12 teaspoons of sugar. When you do the math on 12 teaspoons, that's actually four tablespoons or a quarter cup of sugar a day. And that's like the allowable amount. <laughs> like that's a lot of sugar. So in my opinion... I want people limiting, I should say it's less than the average American is eating, which is about 17 teaspoons per day. And a lot of that's coming in like sugar sweetened beverages. So that's because again, most people, if you sat down and tried to eat a quarter cup of sugar straight, like ugh, good luck, that's not going to happen. So my suggestion is total sugars, 
particularly those coming from whole foods, those are the ones, go for it. No limit on the amount of sugar that's coming from whole plant foods, like a whole fruit. In terms of added sugars, minimize as little as possible to get away with whatever level of sweetness you need. Preferably, you will alter your taste buds to the point that regular fruit can taste so sweet you won't need any added sweetener or very, very little. So as little as possible added, as much as you want from whole plant foods. And I'm telling you, and Americans, actually, it's a global thing. People just love their sugar. But I remember doing a segment on a local television station here demonstrating how much sugar people eat in a year. And the best uh, comparison that I had, I actually went out to a hardware store and I bought one of those heavy cinder blocks and I took that in. And that is honestly the equivalent of the amount of added sugar that Americans eat every year. It's mind blowing to me. Yeah, it's, and again, and some of it is stealthy sugar too. It'll be in things you don't necessarily expect. I don't tend to sweat those as much, something like ketchup. Again, it's it's usually gonna be when it's dissolved in liquid like a soda that you can just knock it back and not even blink. And 12 ounce soda, I think is something like 10 teaspoons of sugar. So yeah, watch out for those sodas. It's incredible how much they fit in there. Dr. Barnard, coming over to you, we have a question from Lynn. Oh, she's looking to clean up her diet. She says, my doctor put me on cholesterol medicine, but should I stop taking it now? I'm planning on switching to a plant-based diet. Okay, um, great question. Uh, I would not stop taking it now. Uh, I would go to a plant-based diet because the plant-based diet will have effectively no cholesterol and it will have no animal fat. And that means you're avoiding the saturated fat that drives cholesterol production. So your cholesterol is likely to fall. Um, let that happen. And then you might talk with your doctor about at that point, once you're on a healthy diet, going ahead and stopping the statin or whatever the drug is that you're on. The doctor might argue with you if you have other risk factors for heart disease. For example, if a patient has diabetes, but even without a high cholesterol level, the doctor is likely to say, you know, your risk for heart, heart attack is higher than somebody who didn't have diabetes. So they'll add the statin for protection. If you're in that situation, you're going to have a discussion with your doctor. Uh, but if you don't um, have that kind of condition, then it is is um, not at all unlikely that your doctor is going to agree. You know, you've got a low cholesterol. You don't need the statin. All right. Next question. Uh, Lee, I want uh, to team up with you for this one. This one comes to us from Jackie. She writes, I've had weight loss surgery, but gained everything back. Will I get enough nutrients with a smaller stomach? So I'm going to let you answer that from the clinical standpoint, and then I'll answer that from the patient viewpoint. Okay. So um, I, this is, in, uh, refresh me, which surgery did she have? Gastric sleeve. Gastric sleeve. Okay. So again, that just means that you, everything is still in the same order. There's no change in where different parts of the intestines are routed, but you simply have a much smaller stomach. Um, this is actually a pretty typical, a really common scenario where people have the gastric sleeve and then they gain it all back. So will you get enough nutrients with a smaller stomach? I assume you are probably meaning on a plant-based diet. And the answer is yes and no. And the reason I say no is because for any diet, because you have decreased your absorptive capacity and the ability to secrete things like stomach acid, it is recommended to have supplementation. Again, it doesn't, that's across the board recommendations because you have interfered on purpose. You've gone in and, and done something that will <clears throat> decrease the level at which you absorb nutrients. So I actually, I went and double checked this just because it's hard to keep all these in mind. But for example, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics in their nutrition care manual has the sort of general recommendations for someone post-bariatric surgery, and this is for sleeve and bypass. Um, they're saying, again, 
vitamin B12, which is critical on a vegan diet, but it's important for anyone who's had bariatric surgery because you're not going to absorb it as well. They're saying three to 500 micrograms per day, sublingual, so under the tongue so that you're absorbing it better. Things like calcium, they, they're recommending 1200 milligrams a day, take that away from iron. Iron supplements are also recommended. Again, the amount you would need to tailor with your physician, um, recommending vitamin D, a higher dose of folic acid than would normally be recommended. And again, all these things are often found in a bariatric multivitamin. So those again are recommended for use lifelong for most individuals after they've had any kind of bariatric surgery. So the, the guidelines for vitamin and mineral supplementation for anyone who's had bariatric surgery are across the board that yeah, supplements should be taken because you have reduced your absorptive capacity. Now in terms of the rest of the story, things like protein and all those phytochemicals and phytonutrients, that is, you're gonna do fine on a plant-based diet. You might wanna make sure, the only real difference here would be to make sure you're focusing on getting plenty of beans and maybe some tofu in there because you want, you're gonna need a little more protein than someone else would. So general recommendation around 60 grams per day. So that means including beans and not just hummus, but like beans in a stew or a loaf or a burger at, or tofu at both lunch and dinner to make sure you're getting to that 60 gram level. But other than that, you can absolutely get better nutrients than you would be getting on a standard American diet for sure, but even like a healthier diet that includes animal products by getting yourself on a plant-based, particularly whole food plant-based diet. So it is important to not waste those calories though. So try to stay away from the sort of emptier foods and stick to those whole plant foods. All right, Chuck, take it away from a personal perspective. Spot on, uh, absolutely spot on. And, and let me just tell this to you, you know, from the perspective of someone, a doctor could never tell you this, all right? The fact of the matter is you're wired a little bit differently at this point, right? And, and that is just how it is. And you need to accept that. I also think that it's important and don't feel like you're, you're a failure at all. No, I mean, that's just the circumstances. You can't get everything you need necessarily just from food and that's okay. The other thing I really wanted to point out for everyone here is that Jackie said that despite the fact that she had weight loss surgery, she put all the weight back on. And so uh, people think that it's this magical <laughs> answer for everything and it's not. You still have to adjust your lifestyle and the way that you eat moving forward because this is really just a temporary solution. They'll tell you that it's a tool and that's pretty much what it is. But if you go back to eating the same thing that you did before, you're gonna be right back to where it was before. you know. And they'll tell you, well, we'll staple your stomach a second time or give you a revisionist surgery or something like that. It happens time and time and time again. And that is what makes a plant-based diet so powerful is because you do get that high nutrient, but yet low fat um, ratio there. And, and that's what's really critical moving forward is that you still nourish your body, take care of your body in the best way possible. I could talk all day about this, but we have so many other questions there. Um, so Dr. Barnard, uh, that is that for now, but I want to take a good question from Gene. Gene is wondering uh, about the work that we're doing here at the Physicians Committee, wondering if you could give us any sort of an update on progress on adding plant-based meals at hospitals and schools. Yeah, um, California uh, passed a law that basically we twisted their arm and 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 got it through the state legislature a couple of years ago. So um, hospitals have to have plant-based meals by law in the state of California. Same thing with prisons. Not it's not the law in schools, unfortunately. Um, New York um, passed a similar law, so hospitals in New York must serve plant-based meals. In fact, that law 
went into effect just, I think it was December 6th. So just a few days ago, it, it actually finally took effect. So if somebody's in a hospital now in New York, plant-based meals are part of the law. And we are trying to get these other places. The American Medical Association came out in 2017 and said that every hospital should be doing this. Um, and uh, they have a similar policy for schools saying that plant-based meals should be part of, part of the routine for schools. Uh, public policy for schools, unfortunately, is lagging way behind. And let's uh, stick with you here, Dr. Barnard. This is a question from John. He's asking if you could please give your thoughts on probiotics or supplements as part of fermented vegetables. So keeping that gut healthy. Okay. At the, at the risk of contradicting what everybody kind of would like me to say, which is that you need to be taking probiotics. I honestly don't think so. Um, and not even, if you had asked me this about a year ago, I would have said there's one time when you should be taking probiotics and, and probiotics are bacteria that are used in a capsule or they're shoveled into yogurt or whatever. And the idea is that you take them and it repopulates the healthy bacteria in your gut. A year ago, I probably would have said there's really only one time that you need them and that's after antibiotic use. However, I've come to the feeling that I don't think you need them in, in any situation that I have been able to identify. And here's why I mean that. Um, your body has plenty of access to bacteria that you're exposed to them all the time. The real issue is if you have sort of the, the, the right soil to grow your garden, so to speak. So in your body, the right soil is high fiber foods. If you're eating fruits and vegetables and whole grains and beans, you'll grow the healthy bacteria. You don't need to take them in a pill. And if you don't have fruits and vegetables and whole grains and beans in your diet and you take a probiotic pill or you take bacteria in yogurt, it, they will not flourish because you don't have the right soil, so to speak. So, um, what about after surgery? A uh, person has surgery, they go on an antibiotic uh, post, uh, uh, post, uh, post-operatively, or maybe you had an infection and you took an antibiotic for that reason. And then uh, the doctor might say, well, take a probiotic to repopulate your gut. Researchers found that the gut repopulates at least as well or better without taking probiotics at all. And people who take probiotics don't benefit. In fact, it even seem, seems to retard the process. So have the healthy foods and the healthy bacteria will follow. Dr. Barnard, I wanna stick with you here because this next question is about thyroids and it's something that you covered extensively in your latest book, Your Body in Balance. This is a question from David who writes, my mom wants to adopt a vegan diet, but she has to avoid certain foods due to having her thyroid removed because of cancer. How can she address that? Okay, well, first of all, I'm sorry to hear that she's had to, to go through this, but I'm trying to think of what foods she would be avoiding. Um, she's had her thyroid removed, and I presume that that means that she's now taking thyroid supplementation. Um, and it's true that foods that you consume will interfere with the thyroid supplements absorption. But that doesn't mean you don't eat those foods. You just eat those foods at a different time than when you take the medication. So take, if you're taking Synthroid or some other thyroid supplement, take it on an empty stomach, leave it that way, don't have anything to eat um, half hour or more after you take the pill. Um, if you're thinking about soy products, uh, there is, soy is not a, a contraindication for a person who's on, on thyroid supplementation. So have at it. 
All right. Next question goes to Lee. It's a good one from Michelle. I think a lot of people wonder about this, especially as they're getting going on a plant-based diet. It's one from Michelle. She writes, I'm part of a workout group and my friends are concerned about getting complete protein on a plant-based diet. Is it still possible to get complete proteins without eating meat? Okay. I love this question. The protein question and the answer is you can absolutely get complete protein on a plant-based diet. You really, it's hard. I've seen people who maybe aren't, and the only reason is because they're eating something very limited. And that's just not a good idea in general. So if you're eating fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and beans, or split peas, or lentils, or tofu, you're getting complete protein. You don't need to eat it at the same time. Um, the, the amino acids, or those are the building blocks of protein that are a little bit lower in the grains, are higher in the beans and the split peas. But you don't, again, you don't need to eat them at the same time. You just need to eat it in like the same 24 hour period. So if you're having oatmeal for breakfast and then you're having a bean burger at lunch, like all those are going into the pool of amino acids that are helping you build your muscle in your body. So it's very sweet of your friends to be concerned, but plant-based diets are actually excellent for athletes. They can speed recovery because they're so high in these antioxidants and protective phytochemicals that you're actually going to be at an advantage in terms of improving your athletic performance by being on a plant-based diet because those animal products that they are concerned that you're leaving out are loaded with cholesterol, saturated fat, which can actually slow the flow of blood in your blood vessels, which you don't really want to do when you're working out um, and can damage the artery walls in, I mean, the walls of your arteries as well. So you're actually doing the optimal thing when it comes to eating a plant-based diet and you do not need to be concerned. Just make sure you're eating a nice wide variety of foods and including beans or tofu in some form every day. I want to do a change of pace and stick with you. We have a number of people asking about the arsenic that is found in rice. Is that something that you've spoken with, uh, spoken about with your patients? You know, this recently came back on my radar because I read another article on it. So it's one of those, I, I actually did a recently just did a deep dive on this. So I confess I eat a small amount of brown rice every day, um, but there is a concerning amount of arsenic in rice. That said, the arsenic in rice itself, just the food rice, not general arsenic, which we know it can in increase the risk of cancer, but the food risk from rice itself, we don't have a ton of data on. The only, I think there was a study that looked at this and the only association that they found was actually for, again, the arsenic in rice. So rice consumption specifically was a borderline, not statistically significant, but close increased risk in bladder cancer. So for that reason alone, I'm inclined to say, limit your rice. So Consumer Reports also did a big report on this quite a few years ago, is to sort of follow those guidelines, unless you have a medical reason where you need to eat more rice. So sometimes on a gluten-free diet, if you have celiac disease, it can be really challenging to, to take that out. But there are still lots of other gluten-free grains to include as well that are all much lower in arsenic. So buckwheat and quinoa and millet, those are in sorghum, which is a grain, not just a sweetener. Um, those are all excellent replacements for rice. And they cook up in some cases faster. They're easier. Um, if you are tolerate gluten, farro is actually, it has a very similar kind of like chewy texture. So you're getting that rice feel. So yeah, I actually, having just gotten this again, back on my radar and done a deeper dive, it's funny, I'm both less and more concerned. I'm less concerned because the arsenic in rice specifically has not really been linked to a lot 
of cancer risk the way that other arsenic has. And again, some of the healthiest cultures in the world have traditionally really been rice based. But on the flip side, if we don't, if we can sort of minimize or avoid that risk and eat all these other yummy grains that maybe we don't typically use, but would be great to bring in, that's kind of a win-win. So why not just diversify those grains? So again, keep it, I think, to general two servings a week or so, although I confess I actually eat a little more than that myself, um, and then bring in lots of other grains to diversify. There you go. Quinoa is just, it's a, man, that is just my absolute favorite. I love me some quinoa. Um, Dr. Barnard, I'm coming over to you. This is a question from Alice, an interesting one. Wants to know, is there a way to find out what your ideal BMI would be on a whole food plant-based diet? And is that even something that she should be worrying about? Oh, well, great question. Um, uh, for, for people who are unsure what we're talking about, um, BMI is body mass index. And Way back when, people would focus on just body weight. And pretty soon it became obvious that what a healthy weight is really depends on how tall you are because a healthy weight for a person who's five foot two is going to be completely different from a healthy weight for a person who's six foot ten. Um, and so body mass index is just your weight adjusted for your height. And if you want to see if you're in the healthy range, you can go to any BMI calculator online. Just Google BMI calculator. You plug in your height and your weight and it'll tell you. Now the numbers that it'll give you, will it'll say a healthy body weight is between 18 and a half and 25. And above 25, that's more weight than you want. And the reason those numbers were chosen, it's a little arbitrary, uh, but it means if you're above 25, statistically you're at higher risk for heart disease, certain cancers, diabetes, hypertension, lots of other things. And if you're below 18 and a half, you're at higher risk for some things as well. But because these are kind of round numbers, what's right for you might be different from what's right for somebody else. Let's say you have rather thin bones, but you have a fair amount of fat. Um, the BMI can't differentiate that from a person who's got heavy bones and lots of muscle and relatively little fat. It's, it's a little bit too crude of a, of a number. Um, that's, that all said, I do think that for really the best health, the sweet spot for BMI is sort of on that lower end of normal, between 18 and a half and maybe going up to 22, 23, something in there. That's really the better range. If you're teetering at 24 and a half, um, you're going to find that your risks for a number of things are higher than it would be at lower levels. All right, we have time for a couple more questions. Uh, this is a great one, Dr. Barnard. I'm going to stick with you to ask this. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll get Lee's opinion on it as well. This is from Acidity Wormhole at 1225. They ask, are processed plant foods healthier than animal products? Absolutely. Uh, no question about it. And if somebody is thinking, okay, uh, grind up soybeans and make a burger out of that, um, it sounds kind of processed. Is that better than a burger that came from a cow? The answer is Absolutely, yes. There's no question about it. Because if you're taking an animal product, um, quite apart from the cruelty and the environmental destruction and all the other things about it that you know, that you know, what are you taking? If you're grinding up muscles, you've got cholesterol, you've got animal fat, uh, which is high in saturated fat, and you don't have any complex carbohydrates, you don't have any fiber at all. If you grind up beans, um, there's no cholesterol, there's no animal fat, there's plenty of fiber, there's you know, calcium and, and iron and healthy things, and it's, it's just a day and night uh, difference. So yes, plant foods, always better. The one caveat I'm gonna have is that some, well, always kick out the animal products. 
within the plant foods, you'll discover that there are some that really get better and better and better. Read the, the label. And when the saturated fat content gets really super low, those are your best foods. So you'll see. All right. That, uh, Lee, would you like to, to add anything to that? I'm sure that that's a question that you get from your patients from time to time. It is, but I don't usually get an either or. And I also, my question is, what is a processed food? So the animal foods, I agree. There's just, again, as a dietitian, if you're like, well, which is better, a soda or a burger? Like, that's the only one where I get. I'm like, you know what? They were just both bad. Like, why do we have to pick? Just don't have either. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you have a choice between a veggie burger and an animal burger, take the veggie burger every time. Just every time. Every time. No yeah. question about it. No yeah. question about it. Uh, okay. Uh, final question comes to us from Rob. Rob is wondering if you could talk a little bit about the difference between the saturated fat that is found in whole foods, such as avocados, versus the saturated fat that is found in oils like coconut oil. Oh, is this for me? Okay. It is for you. I'm sorry. Right. This is, yeah, this is yours. no problem. So it's, it's always better when it comes packaged the way that nature made it. So is it, it's maybe not optimal. I wouldn't go heavy on it. In particular, the saturated fat is, is really highest in the coconut, those kinds of products. So just go nice and gentle on those. Um, but again, when you're eating an avocado, you're getting all kinds of vitamins and minerals, you're getting fiber along with it. So there's a lot going on in that avocado besides just saturated fat versus if you've ever seen coconut oil in a jar, it's just a solid lump of fat and the kind that's not good for your cholesterol in particular. So there's a huge difference and it's what else is packaged with it. The actual saturated fat itself, if you pull it out, if you had solid saturated fat from avocado and solid saturated fat in coconut oil, it's kind of kind of be a wash. But if you're eating a whole avocado, you're getting all kinds of other goodies along with it. In moderation, though, because the calories go up real fast with avocado. If there's ever a question that you would like to ask Dr. Barnard or any one of our experts, the easiest way to do that is to find me on Twitter or Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. You can also find me on Facebook. We put a link to that page in the episode notes. And if you do tweet me or find me on Instagram, go ahead and send in your question using the hashtag exam room podcast. And if you're looking to take your health to the next level, want some one-on-one -on -one help, go ahead and schedule an appointment right now at the Barnard Medical Center. Lee or any number of our doctors or dietitians would love to work with you to achieve your health goals. So pick up the phone and call 202-527-7500 or log on to barnardmedical.org. You can learn all about the telemedicine visits that are available. And yes, insurance is accepted. So call 202-527-7500 or barnardmedical.org right now. Log on for a full list of states where services are available. At the top of the show, I said we would be taking a trip to the exam room news desk, so let's go ahead and do that right now. And there is an unexpected consequence of the coronavirus vaccine. You can call this a side effect, if you will. Turns out that there is now overwhelming demand for dry ice to ship the vaccine. And what is happening is the cheese industry, because of this, the increased demand on dry ice, cheesemakers are concerned. That's putting it mildly. They fear that there will not be enough dry ice to ship their product. 
you think back to early in the pandemic when there was that shortage of meat, and now cheese manufacturers are saying, whoa, it's going to be our turn for that now? Well, this is a hysterical and yet healthy side effect here of the vaccine. So what cheesemakers in Wisconsin are asking, they are literally petitioning the government for help here. They are asking that 350,000 pounds of dry ice be set aside specifically for them throughout the rest of the pandemic as the vaccines get shipped out. No word yet on whether or not that dry ice will actually be set aside for cheesemakers. Matter of fact, I got Dr. Neil Barnard to weigh in on this as well. I think um, there is hidden in this story a great potential step forward for public health. And that's let the dry ice go to the vaccine people, let the cheese go to <laughs> the garbage bin. And I think people are going to get healthier on both counts. <laughs> All right. If you like this show, you feel like you learned something today, raised your nutrition IQ, please go ahead and subscribe to The Exam Room by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, really. And when you hit that subscribe button, please also leave a five-star rating because every new subscription, every five-star rating helps us get this information in front of those who need it the most. And so as we head into the new year, everybody is thinking about their health and improving it, taking off that weight, getting blood pressure under control, lowering that risk for diabetes and heart disease and cancer and Alzheimer's and so many things. Whatever the goal is, we want to help people achieve it in 2021. And you can actually help us do that. Help us make the world a healthier place just by subscribing to the exam room by the Physicians Committee and leaving that five-star rating. And I thank you in advance. And I also want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard and dietitian Lee Crosby, the fiber queen, for giving our Nutrition IQs a boost here today. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, Take a stand and keep it plant-based. <laughs>